Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abounding grace and mercy upon us because of which we stand. How often we fail. How often we harden our hearts. How often we resist the voice of the Holy Spirit spoken through the scripture. Lord, I don't understand how you endure us. How you endure our hardness, rebellion, stiff-neckedness, constant failing and disobeying your word. How gracious, compassionate and kind you are towards us. And your grace is not for us to continue to indulge in rebellion, but to change and grow and become like your son Jesus. And we thank you for your word, which constantly reminds us of the way that we are failing to live and how God is faithful to us and how we need to come back to the word, to the path that you have chosen for us. For what we see and think it is right is not right in your sight. And that's why you have given us your word. Pray, Lord, that you open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things in your word. Help us to submit to the authority of your word. And we thank you for the inspiration of the scripture, Hebrews chapter 4. And we pray that you remind us of the rest we need. And we pray that you guide us to dwell in your rest and um, give us your grace to hear your word, understand your word, and submit to the authority of your word. In the name of our beloved Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. I have divided this sermon into two parts. Um, the first is to really provoke us to understand what God's rest is. And in the next Sunday, I will be sharing with you on how we can really enter, persevere, and enjoy the rest that God has for us. You know, we are living in a generation that craves for rest. Rest is something that we all need because we are restless. But we think about rest in a different way. Different people think about rest in a different way. For example, if we work hard through the day, what is it that we want at the end of the day? We want rest at the end of the day. If you work for five or six days in a week, what do you want at the end of the week? One day I would get some rest. Or if you have gone through some stress due to heavy loaded work in your workplace or some house chores that you have done. And if you are a student, if you are studying and have gone through some heavy studies, what do you seek at the end of your studies and the chores or the job? You want some rest so that you can relax. And if you get sick, and have gone through a lot of pain and agony. What is it that you seek? You want rest. And even when it comes to vacation, we want to go for vacation once in a while. Why do you want to go for vacation? Why? Because we want some rest. And even when it comes to death, you will see this RIP on the graveyards. What does it say? <laughs> rest in peace. You did not have rest. All these years, now you can have rest in peace because you have nothing to worry about. What we understand from all these things is that we are living in a generation of restlessness and we need rest. But the word of God speaks about rest in a very different way that people don't think they need. They think about mental rest. They think about 
physical rest, but there is a rest that the Bible speaks about, which is very important, crucially important than any other rest that we seek. In fact, without this rest, you cannot have rest in your entire life, even when you rest in peace in the graveyard. There is no rest apart from this, and that is what I would like to share with you. I have done my best to simplify as much as possible this passage so that you would comprehend, but it is your job to listen carefully and hearken with reverence and allow the Spirit of the Lord to minister to your hearts. In order for you to understand Hebrews chapter 4, I want to go a little back, little back and dig out the background so that you will understand what is happening here. You have heard the sermons from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We are in chapter 4. And I want to go back to Exodus in order for us to understand what God has promised to Moses. When Moses fled from Egypt and when he was in the wilderness, God appeared to him through the burning bush. And this is a commission he gives to Moses when he manifested himself through the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, this is what the Lord spoke to Moses, which reminded of what the Lord spoke to Abraham. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, Hivita, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here the Lord had mercy on the Israelites who were living in bondage and affliction in the land of Egypt and he promises them that I will bring them to the promised land a land flowing with milk and honey a fertile land where they will get good rest because they lived in bondage for centuries and then after God performed great signs and wonders and delivered them from the bondage of Egypt he did not directly take them into the promised land where there was rest he told them reminded them of what he did for them 40 years in the wilderness I reminded to you some weeks ago in one of my messages, brought to your attention Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 to 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 to 2. And this is what the Lord says to Israelites after they wandered for 40 years. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see here, after they came out of the bondage of Egypt, God led them through the wilderness. They have gone through a lot of challenges as they walk through the wilderness. And the Lord tells them why I haven't taken to you directly in the promised land, but I've taken you through the wilderness for 40 years to humble you through the afflictions that you have faced. Why am I mentioning this? Because this was in the mind of the author of Hebrews when he wrote Hebrews chapter 3 from verses 7 to 11. Because 4th is the continuation of what was he arguing in chapter 3 from verses 7 to 11. Now keep in mind 
what God promised and what God told in Deuteronomy and see what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3 from verses 7 to 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Remember that? 40 years, same thing what the Lord said in Deuteronomy. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We have seen this. I have spent, uh, uh, you know, good time, some ample time explaining to you from Hebrews chapter 3. Now, after he mentioned about, again, reminded them how they failed in the wilderness, the wilderness Israelites, and cautioning them from their life how to be careful not to harden their hearts, not to harden their voice, but seek the Lord's face in humble obedience. As he was speaking about that, we see that in, when it comes to chapter 4, it is in reminiscence, in recollection of what he spoke in chapter 3, he cautions again. Now, if you read chapter 3 and 4, there are a lot of repetitions. You know why repetitions exist? It, it exists for emphasis because people don't get it. People don't get it in one saying. So, it is necessary for this author to remind them again and again because this is a serious issue. And brothers and sisters, you need to understand that this is a very sobering issue even for us. So you see how he starts Hebrews chapter 4 from verses 1 through 7. He says, therefore, and I often tell you that whenever the word therefore is used, what does it mean? It is a conclusion to what he said in the above passage. So he said that, therefore, which means in the above passage he said that Israelites did not enter the rest of God. And he swore in his wrath that these people will never enter my rest. Therefore, in reminding of these people did not enter the rest, he challenges the believers, uh, the audience at that time. And today he also challenges us. He says that while the promise of entering his rest still stands. You see that? Why did he, why did he say still stands? Because it did not stand for them. They failed to enter. But God has still opened this rest for us. Even today. And he says, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage is said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you read this passage carefully, there are five pointers 
to rest. Hear this carefully. If you read this passage carefully, there are five pointers, five historical events that he uses to point people to rest. Let me explain and then bring some applications from it. The first thing he mentions is, I'm not putting in the order that he put, but for our sake of understanding, I put that in my order. The first thing he mentions is God's rest. God's rest. Hebrews 4.4, he says, for he has somewhere spoken. Now you need to understand that. Why did he say somewhere? Because when the biblical writers wrote the Bible, they did not say chapter 1. Da, 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 da. Verse 1. Verse 2. Verse 3. And then chapter 2. The codification was done many years later. In fact, the whole codification of the Bible divided into chapters and verses was done, finished in the 15th century. Until then, they used to say either John said it, or somewhere it is said it. So you should not be wondering, I know Bible better than him. Because I know that it is said in Genesis. And this author didn't know that it is said in Genesis chapter 1 and so and so. So let us not think that we are smarter than them. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4, he says that, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, which is in Genesis. We know that chapter 1. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the first rest he was pointing out, in fact, the rest began with the rest of God himself. That's the argument that he makes. Rest is so important because God himself has rested. When he created the entire universe in six days, the seventh day was a day of rest. That doesn't mean that God doesn't do any work. What it means is that he finished the work of creation in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And what does God mean here when he rested on the seventh day? Sam Storms, as I mentioned before, he gives a very good explanation here that I think what is meant by this is that God entered into a time of triumphant peace and celebratory joy and a glorious satisfaction that came with knowing that all he had made was good. So God took delight in his own works. So when the Bible says that God rested, it means there was nothing else for him to create. Whatever he did later was to sustain what he created. He didn't create anything new after six days. So he ceased from creation. He rested. He took delight in the work of his hands because everything that he made was good. And then the author also points out to the second rest, which is the Israelites living under Moses in the wilderness. He says about the first generation when they came out of the bondage of Egypt. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3, he says about the first generation that failed to enter the rest of God. He says here, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The promised land was to the first generation of the Israelites the promised rest. The promised land that he gave to Abraham, the promise. And then he spoke to Moses. And then what he spoke in Deuteronomy, chapter 8 that we have seen. God decided that these people would not enter my rest, which is the promised land. That is the second kind of rest that we say the Bible speaks about. And the second generation speaks about the third kind of rest, which these people really entered. Which is the Israel under Joshua in the promised land. Israel under Joshua in the promised land. And you cannot read Hebrews 
if you don't know Old Testament. Because everything that he spoke is rooted in the Old Testament. And uh, this is a second generation. Before I point out to what uh, the author says, I would like to take your attention to Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 to 45, about the rest that God gave to the second generation of Israelites. He says to Joshua, the Moses has gone, and along with him, the first generation has gone. They never saw the promised land. The second generation, along with Joshua and Caleb, saw. And Joshua 21, 43 to 45 says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest. Do you see the word? And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given them all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to, all came to pass. I love the last phrase which says, The beautiful faithfulness, trustworthiness of the Lord God. Not one word of all the good promises has failed. Everything has come to fruition, completion. That is the faithfulness of the Lord God that we serve. Whatever he spoke in the past has come to fulfillment. Whatever he promised now will come to fulfillment in the future. Not a single word of the promise in the scripture will ever fail, including our hope of eternal glory. But interestingly, what the author of Hebrews does is, he points to this incident of rest and he tells in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8. I mention that because you can understand verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, pointing to what I have just read. If you think that these people had really got rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Which means the rest that the Israelites received in the promised land is not final, perfect rest. It was temporal, but something greater that God had. And that's the reason God has spoken of another day. Now here is one thing that I would like to point out, which is little out of my sermon. If you have KJV Bibles, if any of you have KJV Bibles, they made a big blunder by putting Jesus over there. KJV is the only translation out of all the translations. No other translation has ever done that. They got confused. The translators have got confused. And instead of putting, for if Joshua had given them rest, if you read KJV, it says, for if Jesus had given them rest. That's a great insult, actually. It's telling that what Jesus has given is not sufficient and God had another day for that. In fact, the complete rest of God is fulfilled in, Joshua, in, in Jesus. But NKJV corrected this blunder. New King James Version, if you have it, you see that um, the people who brag a lot about KJV, that KJV onlyism, this is one of the things that they should be humbled <laughs> to know that. KJV wrongly uses Jesus instead of uh, Joshua, and uh, NKJV corrects it. So, good. Praise God. So, that's not my point. The point is that Joshua rest that they had was not perfect and final. And what is another day? What is another day? We see that the author of Hebrews pointing to David's prophecy. This is another day. That David's prophecy of future rest. We see that in Hebrews 4, 6 to 7. Hebrews 4, 
6 to 7. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So the first generation gone, they did not enter. I've already said to you. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time, he says, is today. Now is the time. God announced this through David. Much later in the words, already quoted. Why did he say already quoted? Because he already quoted in Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, the same thing, what he is about to say here. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And this David's prophecy is found in Psalm 95. If you read Psalm 95, that's where you see the prophecy here that after he encouraged people to worship the Lord, he suddenly brings out a prophecy saying that, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't do that. And as he had sworn to the first generation Israel that you will not enter my rest, you don't become a victim of it. He again cautions. But the author of Hebrews uses this prophecy of David arguing that this is a time that we have come to fulfill and experience the completion of the rest of God. The new covenant believers. That brings to the fifth pointer of God's rest. God's rest for believers in the new covenant and that is called today. When the Bible says today if you hear your voice it means it speaks with a sense of urgency. That this is the time that God is speaking and you must immediately respond to that. And God's rest for believers in the new covenant. This is the final rest that he was speaking about. Hebrews chapter 4. I will show you three passages from the same uh, chapter so that you can understand how much he's speaking about believers' rest here in God. God's rest for believers in the new covenant. And uh, next week will be even more clarity you will get it when I explain to you further about this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering is rest still stands. To whom is he saying? To the believers who are receiving or to the recipients of this letter. He says that the promise of entering is rest still stands because Israel failed. The first generation, but you have still in relation to the rest given to the Israelites. You have still this promise to receive it. And then in verse 3 he says, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. What rest? The rest that these first generation Israelites failed to receive. We who have believed enter that rest. And again you see Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 to 10. Hebrews 4 9 to 10 it says. So then there remains. Which means still stands. What he says in verse 1. 9.10 also he says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now when he says about Sabbath, he doesn't speak about the seventh day that was given to the Jewish people. Because they already were following that. He is not pointing to that. He, if you read further, I will help you understand what did he mean here. He says that a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we see that. The Sabbath rest and God's rest are used interchangeably synonymously in this verse. The Sabbath rest is also called God's rest. God's rest is also called Sabbath rest, which is not pointing to the seventh day particularly in the law of Moses. But he broadly speaks about God's rest as a permanent rest, an eternal rest that God has given to the people in the new covenant. And again, you know, he just 
it just doesn't say in verse 1 and then in verse 3 and 9 and 10. Again, he concludes that in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. What rest again? The rest that the first generation failed. The rest that Joshua couldn't finally perfectly give it to the Israelites. The rest that David prophesied in Psalm 95. The rest that I am speaking in this letter. Let us all strive to enter that rest. You know what is the common thing that we see in all the above discussions? The common thing. The common thing in the first generation Israelites, the second generation Israelites, the David's prophecy in Psalm 95 and also to the recipients that the author is speaking in this book, in this chapter particularly, you know what is one common thing that we see in this? The common word is rest. The common word is rest. What he was telling is, those people missed it. You guys don't miss it. He was pleading with them, giving them arguments, reasons, apologetics. He is reasoning with them, don't miss Brothers and sisters, don't think that sitting here, this is not applicable to me. Even you may miss this rest and get into eternal unrest if you don't pay careful attention to what God is speaking in this passage. You know what is interesting in verse 3 and 5? He says, twice God says to the wilderness Israel, twice he says, in verse 3 he says, they shall not enter he didn't say they shall not enter rest. He says, my rest. It is my rest. God's rest. And again in verse 5 he says, they shall not enter my rest. They will not be having the rest. My rest. It is not their rest or people's rest or the world's rest. It is my rest. The promise that God gives to Israelites is his rest. And the promise that God gives to the new covenant people is his rest. Now the point that comes is, what is God's rest? What is the rest that God is speaking about to the Israelites and also to the church here? What is it? In order for us to, as we begin our journey now, what is the rest of God and how does it matter to me? People, it matters to you because you are living in this world. And you either have the rest or you also become like the Israelites who failed the rest. So it's very important for us to understand what is the rest that the Lord is speaking here. Let's begin with the Exodus chapter 33 and then I will come further and explain and build my reasoning from Exodus chapter 3. This is a conversation that goes on between Moses and the Lord. How beautiful the conversation is. Did you ever have a conversation with the Lord? We, didn't, we don't have that but... I, you know, when, when Exodus 33 was my favorite chapter in the entire Bible when I was born again. You know why? Because God and Moses were discussing as a friend with a friend. <laughs> That's amazing. Exodus 33, Moses said to the Lord, Now therefore, verse 12, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What does he say here? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here because there is no point of that land flowing with milk and honey. There is no point in me settling in that land when there is no presence of God. And if you are not going to be with us, we are not going to go there. And how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and, I, and your people? Is it not in your going with us, your presence with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What was the distinguishing mark between the people here and all the nations of the world? It is the presence of the Almighty God, the presence of the God of the heavens and the earth, it was with them. And that's what makes the church of God also distinguishingly different from all the nations of the earth, all the religions is that the presence of the Lord is in the church of the living God. So what we understand from this uh, presentation is that for the Israelites, the rest was three things. One is freedom from the bondage of enemies. That's what we see. He delivered them from all the enemies and he gave them freedom. No one was there who could prevail against the nation of Israel. And then the enjoyment of God's blessings. Do you remember that? If you read the law, you see God promised so much of blessings to them. That you will be blessed if you walk in my ways. So there was freedom from the enemies. There was the enjoyment of the blessings of God. All of these they inherit because of the presence of God amongst them. There is no freedom without the presence of God. There is no blessing without the presence of God. In fact, to assure them that his presence was there with them, God has erected the temple system, which was the central mark in the whole nation of Israel, which is the temple. What does the temple of God signify? It was central to them, assuring them that God was with them. <laughs> that God was with them. What we understand from here is that sin separated man from God. And that's exactly we see that when you read uh, Genesis chapter 3. We see that when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, we see that God drove them out because of the rebellion. He drove them out of his presence. There was no presence of God. And then we see that God had ordained this temple system, sacrificial system. And they were offering sacrifices. You know why? Why all the sacrifices? Why priests? Why temple? So that the presence of God would not leave them. So that when they sin and offer sacrifices, God is pleased with their atonement and not leave them. Because when there was no presence... There was no rest. So why am I sharing all these things? I want to convince you from the scripture. The rest was the same for OT people and NT people. For the Old Testament covenant people, for the New Testament covenant people, the rest is the same. And that is the presence of God. Or else you will be confused. When you read 4, you will be wondering, what is it that... I'm thinking that we are a little different from Israel. And again, he says it is the same thing. What is that? That rest, that rest. It is the presence of God with the people. But the way the experience was different then, the way we experience now is different. But the substance of the presence of God is the same. Now, I would like to go further and explain there are two aspects of God's rest to believers. 
Now that brings us to the second, as uh, second important thing is two aspects of God's rest to believers. How do I as a believer? If I'm not a believer, so what? If I'm a believer, how do I experience this rest? There are two things that we need to understand when the rest of God was promised to the new covenant people. The first aspect is that it is a present reality. It is a present reality and also the future, final, complete experience. And what is the present reality here? You know, uh, if there is one Latin phrase that I have learned by listening to Arsis Prol and Ligonier, and if you often go to Ligonier website, there is one phrase that they use, and the Latin phrase is Corum Deo. Corum Deo. Corum is a Latin word. Deo is a Latin word. Corum means in Latin before. And Deo means God. Which means living before the face of God. Or you can even say living in the presence of God. And people hear this carefully. And I'll be arguing even further in the next sermon. The very reason Christ came from heaven to earth and he went to the cross. He did this all so that he can bring the presence of God in our lives. Because that's where yours and I ultimate rest is. Now, when it comes to the present reality, there are two kinds of rest that the Bible speaks about. The first one is salvation rest, which is also called redemptive rest. The Lord Jesus himself gave this grand invitation in the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. And you see this glorious, loving, kind invitation to all the people who were heavy burden and laden with sin and uh, burdens with how we can really get to God by trying to keep the law by themselves. They were in a miserable condition and the Lord gives them the good news saying, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? And I will give you rest, which is God's rest. Why did he say, come to me? Because apart from him, there is no rest. And Christ says that, come to me because I am the God of rest, and I give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we see the invitation to salvation rest and to redemptive rest. If any person has not found this rest in salvation, he is not really saved. People listen to this carefully. It's very easy to fake that I believe in Jesus. Very easy to fake that I know Christ. That I am going to heaven. That I have this. But you see people really don't have this assurance of rest. But that's an evidence. One theologian says that if Jesus is a walking, living, breathing temple, he is also the walking, celebrating, victorious Sabbath, which is he gives rest to the people who come to him. What does it mean when it comes to salvation rest, redemptive rest? Let me quickly explain so that you can get the point. And this rest is freedom from living under the burden and power of sin to quorum Deo which is the presence of God. People today are burdened with sins. People today are cursed with sin. They are living under the power of slavery. A few days ago, a friend of mine 
called me and said, Stephen, would you come and speak to the young people that we are organizing a message on addictions? And why they say addictions? Because they are enslaved. Addictions, people are living under the burden of sin and Christ says that I will give you that rest from the power and burden and sin so that you can enjoy the presence of God. Because sin will never let us dwell in the presence of God. If the presence of God should be enjoyed, sin should be dealt. And that's the very reason Christ has come to this world. We also see that there is rest from earning God's favor to Coram Deo. You know how the religions of the world are struggling to earn the favor of God? If I do this, if I go to that special pilgrimage, or if I do this ritual, I will earn the favor of God. Or if I go to church, some Christians who think that they can earn the salvation of God, or the favor of God, or the love of God, if I fast for 40 days, if I study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if I spend hours of time in prayer, maybe God will be pleased to accept me. They try and slog through to earn the favor and the love of God. Terrible burden it is. All people are struggling, spending money, energy, everything. And that is rest from trying to earn the favor of God to Quorum Deo, to dwell in the presence of God. And it's also it's a rest from earning salvation by works. People are struggling, struggling, you know. I remember I was telling yesterday also in the membership class, when D.L. Modi, the famous evangelist, was journeying with a stranger in the train and they were exchanging conversation at the end of his uh, departure from the bogey he turned to him and he said that you know what's the difference between your religion and my faith your religion says do 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 my faith says done 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 i can do nothing to earn the salvation of god it is done and that is a great rest and it is also rest from freedom from the condemnation of sin. You know, people, you may not think about it so seriously. When it comes to death, you know, what is the first and the most important question? What's next? <laughs> you know that? You may be thinking that this is a time for me to sleep and enjoy and eat and drink and be merry. I don't have to worry about that. But the time will come. And the question will be to you, what's next? If I die... But if you, if you understand the rest that God gives here, that is rest from the condemnation of sin to Coram Deo. There are people, you know, have committed some sins and they live every day. Maybe that's murder. Maybe that's uh, accidentally killing someone in a road accident. Or maybe it is adultery. Or it is something that they do in their lives and they constantly live. That they have committed this sin and they condemn themselves. But the Bible offers rest from the condemnation of sin to Coramdo. You don't have to condemn, but you can live in the presence of God. Rest is free from the bondage of sin to Coramdeo. Do you know we are living in a pagan nation where witchcraft and magic and powers of darkness and evil oppression and demon position are so rampant. And people are afraid, even Christians are afraid. What would happen? What would happen? Can Christians be demon possessed? But here we see there is a great freedom that the Bible offers. Rest is freedom from bondage to Satan. We don't have to live because the devil, the powers of darkness, witchcraft, magic or anything has no power 
when Christ gives you his rest. And also, rest is free from all superstitious customs sort of fear that we people follow. Isn't it? When you, when you build your house, you know how much of superstitious customs that we have? If you don't shave the head of your child when he's born, on that particular day, something bad would happen. If you don't boil the milk when you're inaugurating a house, something bad will happen. If you don't construct your house in particular manner or style, according to that vasu, then something bad will happen. If you don't take these five kind of items when you go for marriage talks or for marriage, something bad will happen. My goodness, what miserable life is that? Every step you have to do something or else something bad will happen. But that is the rest that salvific, redemptive rest offers. You don't have to live in that constant burden and trauma of superstitious beliefs. You know, I love what one of my favorite treasures of statement that I have treasured in my heart was from Augustine of Hippo. He lived a treacherous, immoral, debauchery life. He lived for himself. He is also called a Saint Augustine. Actually, if you read his biography, how could he be a saint, you may wonder. Because he, he fathered an illegitimate child even before he got married. He lived a very sensual, hedonistic life. But when he came to know Christ, you know what he said? You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You have made us for yourself. People, listen to this carefully. You think that that idiotic electronic gadget will give you a lot of rest? You are, you are idiotized by that. If you think that if you sit before that computer, that will give you a lot of rest? No. If you think that your spouse will give you rest? No. If you think that even church will give you rest? No. Nothing, nothing can replace the place of God in your life. And everything that you enjoy, you will enjoy if God has a central place of rest in your life. Or else you will live a miserable life in your entire life. But that's a rest that God offers here. So I want to tell you here, if there are any unbelievers here, any unbelievers, maybe you are a nominal Christian, grown up in a Christian background, and listen to messages, going to church, singing songs, giving offering. And if you have not have encountered this redemptive rest, salvation rest that Christ offers, today is the time. Don't harden your heart. Believe in Christ and you will find this rest. But there are people who believe in this, but yet they have no rest. Believers like us. That brings us to, there is not even salvific rest. There is a sanctification rest. That we all have to enjoy. It is our right brothers and sisters. It is our right if you, are, if you are a Christian. And how do you get it? I want to begin from what the Lord himself has said. In the gospel of John chapter 15 from verses 4 and 5. This is one of the major reasons all believers who claim to be saved don't enjoy everyday rest. Because they don't do this. What did he say? Abide in, when Jesus said, he said, come to me, that is a person, it's not a doctrine. He didn't say that, come, abide in a doctrine, reformed doctrine, and you will get rest. He didn't say that, doctrine gives you rest. All the doctrine is important. He didn't say that rituals will give you rest. He says, me, I am the only person who can give you rest. And he says, abide in me. When Christ says, you know, abide in me, what is he saying here? Rest in me. Rest in me. You don't have to slog through. 
And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me or rest in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, rest in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from resting in me, apart from abiding in me, you can do nothing. You can examine your life, why your life is miserable as a believer. Because you are in so much, there are people who do a lot of Christian activities. They run from one activity to another activity, but never take time to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will never give you. You know, three times the Lord says in these two verses, three times you see that in verse 4, abide in me. And also, unless you abide in me, and again, in verse 5, whoever abides in me. Three times in these two words, he, he encourages and exhorts the disciples, abide in me. It is me you want. I'm telling you, even books will not give you anything. You can become a miserable creature just by reading books. There are people who think that if they listen to songs and read books, listen to sermons, they will get plenty of rest. Nothing you will get. Books cannot replace Christ. Doctrine cannot replace Christ. Family devotions cannot replace Christ. Church activities cannot replace Christ. Christ, Christ, and Christ alone can give you. And all that we do should flow from rest in Christ. Or else all that you do is a curse upon you, even in the name of being a Christian and church. That's the reason, you know, I love what George Muller said. He was a man of faith, known as an apostle of faith. He said that when I get up early in the morning... My first job is to find my soul happy in the Lord through prayer and meditation on the word of God. But there are so many miserable souls. The first time, the first thing that they do after they get up is run to jobs. And they live a restless life. And let me quickly explain to you what is sanctification rest. As we see explained here, rest is freedom from self-efforts to live a godly life to quorum deo. People, listen to this. You and I can read and listen no matter whatever you do. You cannot live a godly life. Honestly. I have read so much and I have learned so much and there are many times that I keep falling and God reminds me that you need me if you want to live a godly life. Apart from me, you cannot live a godly life. And that is freedom that God gives us to free us from our own efforts to live a godly life. Rest is freedom from the power of sin. How many of us are struggling with various sins? One thing that I've learned is enough of reading sometimes. I just fall at the feet of God and cry, Lord, I need, I need, I need your grace and mercy to conquer this sin. And I heard testimonies about people who have read enough and learned enough, but they still did not conquer sin. And they prayed and prayed and prayed fervently in the presence of God, crying out to God and pouring out their hearts. And they found great permanent deliverance, which nothing can give them that victory. What rest is there? In the presence of God. Rest is freedom from despair in afflictions. We all go through afflictions. And God, how can you rest in affliction? You can rest in affliction only when you rest in Christ. And Paul, when he spoke out of the Philippian jail, and when he spoke to the people who have been going through affliction, he didn't say that. Rejoice in your suffering. You know what he said? Rejoice in the Lord 
always. Again I say, rejoice. Your joy is not in anything, brothers and sisters. There is no joy in going through pain and suffering. But you and I can have the joy when we learn to rest in the Lord. Immediately after telling in chapter 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord in verse 6, six he says that do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition present your request to God and the peace of God, the rest of God will conquer your heart that surpasses all understanding. You may not have that. That is the rest God gives. You know why people are not enjoying? They don't abide. You know where they abide? With telephones, with people, with phones, with the social media, what will you get if you abide there? Or only in doing job or something or the other, maybe I will get something. You in the name of Christian is a very bad example. There is no difference between the unbeliever and you because both are miserable in afflictions. If there is something that unbelievers should look at us and get jealous is, how come you are different? I see that you enjoy your life. I see that you are man of... You know, you man who enjoys your life, you are energetic, you are alive, you are passionate, there is something in you that I don't have it. How come? Did anyone ask you that? Maybe not, because you are like them. <laughs> Why will they ask you? But that is what God offers here. Rest is freedom from slavery to the things of the world. To Quorum, do how many people are addicted and enslaved by the things of the world? But God gives that freedom in sanctification. Rest is freedom from destructive powers of darkness to Coram Deo. Rest is freedom from gaining your identity in the world through worldly accomplishments. You know how many of us want to have a good, you know, good degree, great job, and do all these things so that you can prove yourself. And once you prove yourself, there is another thing to prove. And once you prove that, you have to struggle to creep what you have proven. And there is a miserable roller coaster that happens. It's a mill of identity crisis. But you don't have to, without you doing anything, God tells to all people who believe in the Lord Jesus, you are my child. And there is no greater identity than being called the child of God. Rest is freedom from seeking love and acceptance from people. To Coram Deo. Above all, rest. You know what I would like to tell you? Above all, rest that God gives is his own rest. You know that? God is the one, is God grieved when, he sin, when we sin against him? You know what I don't understand is, he's grieved when we sin against him. He feels sorrowful when we go through pain. And yet, there is no one as joyful as God. He is such a personality that he can feel grief and will not be shattered. He is the one who looks at all the ugliness that is happening, yet he can be full of joy. He will never get into depression. God will never get into depression. You think about me taking care of my family and also of the church. These little people whom I handle, I get so frustrated sometimes. How do I handle these people? And God handles the whole world. <laughs> whole world. Billions of people. The whole world is grieved, is saddened, yet is full of joy and never shattered. He's never anxious about what is going to happen. He is never depressed, never discouraged. Don't you think we need to have that rest, people? <laughs> How to live in the midst of such conflicts and enjoy the presence of God. God gives his own rest and promises 
his own rest. That's the reason he says that, my rest I give unto you. My rest. And I love, you know, uh, when I started to fall, when I fell in love with hymns, I was a man who, I, I remember the only hymn I knew when I became a, there was zero hymn that I knew when I became a Christian. And the only hymn that I learned when I was in Bible college is, Oh Lord my God. When I in awesome wonder, maybe two, three hymns. Hardly. All choruses. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Ah, angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God. Again, keep singing ten times, hundred times, same song. Hosanna. All these songs happen. I thought, my goodness, this is so repetitious. I want to learn hymns. And when I fell love, in love with him, I know now, I think I can say maybe lots of hymns. And I keep learning. Interns know that I learn a hymn. I come here. Man, I learned this hymn. Let's sing together today. Introduce in my family devotions. Introduce to the interns. Finally to the church. A lot of the hymns that you sing are my introduction. Because I've learned them. And introduced them. Because there is such a joy in singing. And one of the favorite hymns that I've learned when I fell in love with him is there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. That's my favorite. How many of you know that? There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Very few people. You know, there are the lyrics. Maybe this only one, one thing that we can sing. Beautiful. Just immerse people in that meaning that the song is saying here. Beautiful. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, bless Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. Hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. Brothers and sisters, where do you find rest? There is only one place. Near to the heart of God. That reminds me of what this genius of Cambridge said. C.S. Lewis. He said that God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. Because it is not there. <laughs> there is no such thing. Even if God wanted to give peace and happiness apart from him, he cannot give because he is happiness. He is peace. And apart from him, there is no such thing. Don't look around here and there, brothers and sisters. We have to come to the heart of God. And maybe God is encouraging us today that look unto me. Your hearts are restless so that you can find rest in me. There is a one caution that I would like to give you before I get into the final one. You know what is that? Rest is not indulging in laziness. In fact, you will only get rest when you labor a lot. <laughs> it is not indulging in laziness and avoiding spiritual disciplines. That is not what the Bible speaks. If you read Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, it speaks about the disciplines that we as Christians should be following. But listen carefully. Spiritual disciplines are the outcome of our rest in Christ. If you do spiritual disciplines to find rest, that's a miserable life. 
But if you practice spiritual disciplines because you rest in Christ, you will enjoy that. So it's not that God says, I will give you rest so you don't have to do anything. I don't have to pray because I rest. I don't have to get early in the morning and seek His face. I rest. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to fast. I don't have to preach the gospel. I don't have to serve, show hospitality because these are all burdensome things. I can just rest. And I'm telling you, uh, the, the, the devil will sing a nice lullaby and destroy your life if you fall into that kind of deception. Be careful. It is not that. I told you two aspects, right? It is a present reality. In the present reality, there is the salvation redemptive rest and the sanctification rest. And the final one is, it's an eternal rest, sabbatical rest, which we call, which some theologians call eschatological rest. That is a rest that we will finally have glorification, which we call eternal rest, which is the establishment of God's complete kingdom, where we enjoy this grand rest that God gives. In fact, Hebrews, much chapters later, he says in 11 verse 16, he reminds them, he's saying that, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16, he says, but as it is, all these people who lived in the past, they desire a better country. Their hearts were never on this world. Although we have to be faithful in fulfilling the responsibilities, it says here, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And what is a city? Our eternal home, the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new worlds, where we will find great rest. Revelation 21 and 22 confirms this. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, which I reminded you in my last sermon. And I heard a loud voice from throne saying, Behold, people, this one statement is enough for us to rest. You know what is that? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Because now it is, I will, I will maybe later I can tell what, what we are experiencing now. And why does it say God is already with us? So why does the Bible say that the dwelling place of God is with man? He will dwell with man, with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. Because this happened, this is a result, people. A lot of people think that, you know, heaven is a place where I will have no death and no cry. There is nothing that happens if God doesn't dwell with people. If the presence of God is not there with them. And because the presence of God is there with them, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All these things, why? Because God's presence will eternally rest with people. And exactly Revelation 22, just after this saying, it says in verse 3 to 5, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And I can't wait for that. I remember when I was born again, I, I fasted the whole day, not even eating my own sputum, even my own sputum. Because I wanted to see the glory of the Lord. Lord, I wanted to see you. I fasted 21 days. Lord, I wanted to see you. I was hungry. And now I understand that here I, I can't see God. 
Here I can't see God, but I can't wait for the time that I'm going to see him face to face. You should see Stephen David then. His full exploration of emotions, if you are there. I'm sure I'm there. <laughs> I'm sure I'm there. And I believe that, and I ask you that you should also be there. To see, that is what I see, that the presence of God now is only foretaste people. But there it will be a full-blown sight and experience. He will talk to us. We don't need Bible in heaven. Because God himself, now you need the love letter. Right? When people, before they get married and in the past times, you know, I remember when my wife and I, no phones and nothing. We, we have still love letters, you know, 25 years more than that love letter. I have a file actually. And she used to write to me. It took days actually to come. There was a mediator and then I used to read and again write. And exchange of love letter. You know what was the longing that we both had? When shall we live together? <laughs> Isn't it? Imagine people, I'm telling you this Bible is a love letter God has given to us. And whenever you read this love letter, you know what should be the longing in us? When I'm going to see my Lord of the heavens and the earth, you made this great, massive, magnificent universe. I want to see him. The one who died for my sins and rose from the dead. I want to touch his feet. I want to behold his glory. I want to hear his voice. And I want to see him calling me. Stephen, my beloved son, enter into the master's joy. What a grand experience that is. And that is what the Bible says. They will see his face. Atheists don't believe in God. You know why? Because they don't see him. And God promises that you will see me. It is like, you know, I don't believe that you are pregnant because I don't see a child. You will see after nine months. You will see God. And you behold his glory. You will touch him, hear him, live with him. And you think that, God, I was thinking my husband, my spouse, my children, my job and money brought such a great joy. Now I realize that this is nothing compared to dwelling in the presence of the almighty God. Beautiful. Let us all long for that, people. And you know what is hell? You know what Bible says is hell? And I don't want you to go there. Bible says that this is what hell is. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-9. to 8-9. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his mind. People, you know what is hell? It's an eternal separation from the presence of God. It is more horrible, terrible than flames of fire, than the worms, than all the pain that people go through. There is no hell like being away from the presence of God. Why? Because God has made us for himself and there is no presence of God when I say presence of God I don't mean the omnipresence of God it is the manifesting glory and the presence of God in hell and that's the cursed place and I beg you please don't go there beg you don't go there turn to the Lord I want to finish with the challenge here to provoke you to think about it and wait for the next sermon. The only mandates in the entire passage, you know, there is no, when I say mandates, 
it's not mandrakes it is mandates it's a commands only two commands in the entire passage from 1 to 11 only explanation only two commands you know what the first is what we see in one the starting one therefore while the promise of entering is rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it and second in verse 11 let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience these are the only command let us fear let us strive to enter that rest how do we enter how do we persevere till the end how do we enjoy god's rest will be the sermon for the next which we will be digging further in this chapter and the next chapter shall we all stand together shall we all stand together and pray I've done my best to simplify this complex passage for your comprehension. Maybe some of you may have to listen once or twice or even thrice to understand more. But brothers and sisters, I want to tell you we are restless people and we need the presence of God in our lives. The foretaste here and a full-blown experience and sight in the eternal Sabbath rest. Nothing can give that rest no money no positions no securities no job no family nothing 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 can give it's only there in one person and that is god of the heavens and the earth at this time i don't know what the lord has spoken to you in which areas you are failing to rest in the lord I encourage you don't be a passive listener but be an active responder and respond to God and say Lord I want to rest in my life and yes I have to work hard discipline myself do certain things but all out of rest if there is no rest it's a misery curse and Christ says today if you are an unbeliever come to me and I will give you rest If you are a believer he says abide in me and i in you you can do nothing apart from me you bear much fruit by abiding in me you may say i'm so busy your busyness will not give you rest in fact it makes you more miserable in spite of all the busyness what we require is rest in the almighty god because out of that when we do everything peace and joy flows from us heavenly father we stand before you as unrest souls creatures fools alone we ignore you and seek everything there are no fools like us in this world who run after things and slog here and there run on our feet we think that there it is when you say come to me abide in me it is i you need and the time comes when you will see my glory the time comes when you hear my voice the time comes when you shake my hand hug me and you can't stand the sight of beholding the glory of the living god until then persevere enjoy the foretaste of his presence now even now it is there even now the rest is there and god gives us 
Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this rest. Help us never to neglect this. Never to neglect. Not be like the people of the world striving to find rest in phones and in relationships, in jobs, in money, in positions, when there is rest only in the maker of the heavens and the earth. Oh Lord, some of us are restless because we are not respected and we are not, we are trying to prove ourselves so that we can get some rest. Lord, that is curse. There is nothing we have to do, just look to you and rest in you and do everything out of the rest that we have in you. Give, O oh Lord, your rest to the restless souls here and you be glorified. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.